0: At KubeCon, I had a chance to catch up with Adam Stokoviak of the Changelog, a podcast that was an inspiration for starting Software Engineering Daily. Changelog has long been one of my favorite podcasts about engineering, thanks in part to Adam's personality. And this was a spontaneous conversation, but it was a good one, and I really enjoyed catching up with Adam at KubeCon. I'm here with adam Stakoviak, the host of the changelog hey, hey hey it's great to have you here adam
1: thank you jeff it's uh good to see you in your flesh yes face-to-face not on the internet not some bits and bytes that's right the real thing
0: that's right yeah so we are recording a spontaneous podcast about kubecon and stuff so i guess it's 2017 you are an authority on open source software because you host the changelog which is a podcast is mostly about open source software. What are the most exciting projects in open source right now?
1: Projects, specifically. Mm. I could say verticals rather than projects. I would say anything AI, anything ML, anything orchestration, anything cloud, those things are lighting on fire. Obviously, the front end has been on fire. React view, anything JavaScript related is pretty on fire. I would say those things are pretty much super hot.
0: What I like about the changelog is you're really good at having both the technical discussion as well as the narrative around the technology. So, for example, the uh, one of my favorite stories around open source that comes to mind is you mentioned Vue. The fact that Evan You started this open source front end JavaScript framework when Angular and React were both hot and they th- we thought those were the big dueling competitors. Angular being managed by Google, right. React being managed by Facebook and then Evan Yu comes along and he starts a project and it gets tons of traction and he's supported by Patreon.
1: I think Evan has a past though behind Prior to Vue that you know he was a front end engineer I think at Google if I recall correctly, I could be wrong. But some big company like, you know, the projects that you just mentioned, Angular and and React. So I think he had this sort of insider's perspective and I think he became an independent engineer on his own or, you know, started view it as sort of like this problem of not just wanting React, wanting a different solution and not really being happy with what React was. And so I think that's kind of where it came from. It's it's interesting to tell the narrative of, like, where things come from and why rather than just what they are. Because not that we can all talk about the technical pieces, but that isn't always the most fascinating part, right? It's sometimes where did the problem come from, what was the circumstances, what were the constraints, what was the people behind it? Because it's, you know this, when we talk about software, it's not really about the software, it's about the people, right? So we, we feel like telling the narrative, telling the story is... is not more important, but just as important as the technical bits. You know, and if you don't get that part right, then you know, we kinda wanna hit both angles. Technical as well as narrative.
0: Yeah. Now another area that you could touch on and you do touch on in some episodes is that of business. I'm curious about and I know the struggles of running a media company in twenty seventeen. What is it like to run from your perspective, what's it like to run a podcasting slash media organization
1: the best route of your life I would say because it's we've been fortunate to create really good relationships and to invest in people and not just companies you know and I think for us it really is all about the people it's all about helping people so it's it's helping people from a listener perspective we have a listener first mentality if we work with a sponsor to sustain our business that doesn't jive with a listener we're not gonna work with that sponsor anymore hmm.
0: Has that happened? Sure, yeah. I'm not going
1: to name any names, but oh. yeah, we've said no before. We've said no to 20000 twenty thousand, forty thousand plus $40,000 Wow. opportunities because there wasn't a fit or oh, wow. because a situation didn't align right or for whatever reason. And I think it's that kind of – maybe we're fortunate to be in a position to say no <laughs> now. Maybe we weren't before. Maybe I would have been – I wouldn't say desperate, but more inclined to say yes. But I think every time we've had a chance to grow, move fast, take – on a new partner that maybe not fit well mm. and we slowed down and said is this really going to work does mm. this really make sense for us does it really make sense for our audience and we examine that closely I think that, it's that having that DNA in us that makes us maybe you know this if you listen to the show but it helps our listeners trust us far more as as editors as yeah. curators as you know Jared likes to say tastemakers although that's not the best word for it it's generally what you are you're, you're a tastemaker of software a tastemaker of people and you're helping curate this Sometimes, disparate world of open source software and software development, we connect dots. You know, Mm. and so if if we have the listeners trust doing that, and, and that comes from making wise decisions for their for their behalf. If we have that trust, it's so much easier to navigate. Fun, yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun because you get to meet a lot of people. I'm here meeting you. I'm here at this conference, KubeCon. You know, get to shake a lot of hands. I just talked to Brendan Burns. We all wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for Brendan Burns and a couple other people initially with Kubernetes, right? Brendan Burns was one of the originators, one of the original co-founders of this project. He was inside Google selling, funding, saying, hey, Google, you should support this. We didn't really have a name for it. They didn't even have a name for it then. And he sold the inside of Google to fund this project to allow them to work on it, make it open source, eventually create the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. And without somebody like us and you and others telling that narrative, telling that story, we're just lost. Yeah. We, don't have, we, don't have, we don't have that thread connecting us.
0: Yeah. So podcasting in 2017, is it growing? How fast is it growing? Oh, man.
1: Well, I'll, I will actually uh, point back to maybe somebody you know. Gary Vaynerchuk. Yeah. I was. We were talking prior to this audio recording about YouTube. Now I watch Gary on YouTube because Gary gets me a little fired up. There's, I don't agree with everything. He's got some foul language I, try, I tend to stay away from because <laughs> I like to be future hacker friendly and we all like to. So if uh, the future hackers can't listen to our show because it's got curse words in it, we prefer that the future hacker generation and those with families listen with families to welcome their children to listen to it. But back to your point is as uh, Gary Vaynerchuk said that the audio medium is the fastest growing medium because it doesn't require your eyeball attentions. You can, you can wash the dishes, you can go for a run and half listen to a show and get as much as you want out of it. You could be running on a treadmill at uh, doing a workout. So you can take a podcast and or audio content anywhere yeah so there is no limit whereas video requires far more attention it requires your specific attention whereas audio can be sort of like in the background yeah and you decide to get as much as or as little as from it as you'd like yeah so i think podcasting has grown tremendously in 2016 it's it's lighting up in 2016 the 2017. I think it'll be on fire next year. Really? Oh yeah. I mean, you got so many companies. Companies like Gimlet Media getting their of course their shows are not like Yours and I's where it's more mainstream. I think our shows are mainstream software developer podcasts. Yeah. Right? We're not going to reach the mass millions because we don't have content that reaches the mass millions, mm. right? We're barely trying to scale to 100 million developers in the year 2027 for Kubernetes. Mm. And that's you don't you don't have the you don't have millions and millions of downloads when you're not mainstream, right? We're we're very niche.
0: Do you have any idea what the total addressable market of software engineers who listen to podcasts is? So
1: you have to divide you have to start segmenting the market. You gotta figure out who's an engineer, doesn't matter, where they're at in the world. So an engineer's in the world, then you gotta slice that into the amount who would actually listen to audio content or even know podcasts exist or that they can be good, and then you gotta divide that by the ones who have tried it and you listen to shows unlike yours and unlike mine where we really focus on high quality audio, great quality stories, good quality guests. You know, we put our blood, sweat, and tears into it, but not every podcaster out there does that or has that. Not that they're not good, but they tend to have not very listenable shows. Yeah. And so they turn off a good majority of it, I think, for for a bad bad thing, but um, I don't know. It's, it's tough what the addressable market might be. Mm-hmm. I'd say quite a bit.
0: 150,000
1: yeah. 200,000. Yeah. I'd say. You yeah. Know? But then you got to slice that into interests. Do they care about everything we talk about? Probably not. So I think you, you end up having, you know, twenty to 70,000 people on a given topic mm-hmm. that you can actually hit with, and you may actually get 20 30 40,000 to listen to it.
0: You know, software engineering is one of the few jobs that is rapidly expanding, and the, the demand for software engineers vastly outstrips the supply and so that's causing more and more people to go into software engineering and then at the same time you have things that are lowering the barrier to entry for software engineers like free code camp or a, a bajillion other educational tools do you think this market is gonna like swell a lot and like pop a lot or is it going to be more like a linear just gradual increase the number of software engineers in the world
1: well I think we've seen you know a linear growth you know, through its history. And I think we'll continue to see that because I think there's more demand. And quite frankly, you are you have access, you have access to technology at such a young age, right? I was actually talking to Jared recently, Jared Santo, my co-host and partner in Chief Media. And we were talking about cloud native, right? And what that means. And, you know, we kind of pontificated about what we thought it meant. And his definition of it was, Anything that is born in a cloud world where it, it, the application or whatever it is, the infrastructure, didn't exist prior to cloud. And so it's cloud. It's grown up or born in the cloud world. And then we kind of took that same analogy back to or parallel back to the Internet, Internet native, right? I don't know about what your age is, but I grew up when there was no such thing as the Internet, right? Right. We call people on rotary phones. I, I put my finger in this hole and rotated this thing to to act to put a number in there. We used to answer the phone. I was I grew up in an age prior to call waiting. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. kids today, they have access to technology so young. Yeah. So it's so prevalent, right? And so I think you'll just continue to see a linear growth. I think it'll, I don't know if it'll ever hockey stick, but I think it would always go up. Yeah. You know, I don't think we see that slowing down. We see young girls and young women being adopted into software. You know, we're changing our ways of being inclusive. We're changing our ways of being diverse. You know, we're all being educated in, in how it sh- really should be. Yeah. You know, we kind of grew up in different eras when eras when it wasn't, it was just different, you know, it was just different. And we're all being more mindful of it. So I think not only do you have, you know, diversity has a huge push. Women in tech shows here, obviously, you know, that's a big piece of it. Like, you got to educate people. So now you got so many more people being invited, included, welcomed, loved, supported. You know, I think that's a, a beautiful thing. I think because of those things, and just the general growth of tech, it'll continue to rise.
0: As a media company, you know, you look at the media consumption habits of kids these days. And if you, know, if you look at like college students or recent college graduates, they will trust a Vox Media much more than a CBS or a CNN. So there is a gradual cycling out of the older media companies in terms of how younger people trust them. When you think about building a durable media brand with Changelog, what do you feel like you need to make changes or do you feel like you have a brand that is going to be durable, that will be beloved by future generations of technologists?
1: All I can say is we go, we wake up and we take it one day at a time. You know, I I don't really know how to answer that, but just to say that we get up every day, we show up, we do the work, we love on a community that needs loved, and we do what we can to share great stories and to pat people on the back when they need praise and to shine lights on technologies that haven't gotten covered or stories that need to be told. And we just wake up and do that every day. Mm. And hopefully I think with software growing, naturally a desire to learn more about it and having outlet likes outlets like mine and yours to go to, it's gonna be natural to keep being beloved. You know, yeah. if we keep being people to wanna to be on our shows or to want to listen to our shows or read the things we do or read our newsletters or whatever, you know, if we keep doing that, then we're gonna naturally grow. And I think we're in a great position because people like Google, companies like Google, companies like Microsoft, you know, all these different companies out there reach out to us and say, hey, can we work with you somehow? Hmm. Can we be a part of what you're doing? Yeah. Not because we're big like them, but because we have a a earned trust because we took our time, we put ourselves in the trenches, we, as best as we have, made ourselves part of the community. Yeah. And, you know, you're rewarded for that. Yeah. Right? So I think it's just natural to continue to be beloved and just by happenstance, also grow.
0: I hope so. I mean, (laughs) the thing that I always think about is, if you're a software engineer, why on earth would you become a journalist? But because of that, it creates a scarcity of journalist software engineers, which puts us in kind of a scarce position.
1: Yeah, we're anomalies. Yeah. We're not normal. We're we're weirdos. Yeah.
0: Yeah, But, But with that in mind, do you... I started getting this like maybe a year or so ago, where I was like, you know, I haven't I haven't written software in a while, right. and like, am I qualified to report on this stuff? Am I just, am I starting to just regurgitate documentation and? Well, you're marketing? already
1: you're already giving yourself a wall. Then you're asking yourself, do you belong? Which is a version of imposters syndrome. Just because you haven't written code in a while doesn't mean you don't know what it is or why it should be written or who it should impact. Right. That's what we are as technologists. Just because you write code doesn't get you a seat at the table.
0: Fair enough, but nonetheless, I forced myself to start doing some coding again. Do you? Do you? Write I try. Co- you try yeah. to try to find. I'm time more of a
1: front end developer, so I don't do a lot of back end stuff. But yeah. you know, one thing I do play a big part in, and one thing I have done prior to you know being a professional media dude or podcast or whatever I, you know people might think I am is I was a product manager hmm. I was a UX designer, I was a designer, a front end designer, and so I wear all those same hats for my own company the, the new stuff we build, the new stuff we design the things we're coming out with and very soon, changeLaw.com, is designed by me. What's coming out? The easiest way to say it is we've been producing a newsletter for the last three and a half years 10,000 plus readers, not a huge readership oh. but high, high engagement because we work so hard every single week to distill all the single you know all the noise out there into a good signal yeah and we ship that every week from changelaw.com slash weekly it's our, our newsletter and we've been doing that and it's been hard for us to tell that story that we you know create content so to speak not just podcasts because it's not front and center or rather just you know in the design process so back to the whole product manager ux designer role you know i put that hat on i said well why can't why doesn't why don't people know that we produce this great content and they should sign up to this newsletter? Well, it's because it's not in the front. Well, then I started designing you know, new interface for our website to put the newsletter front and center, but all it was then was just basically saying, here's our newsletter, here's how you search the archive, and hopefully you subscribe. And that felt really weird. So mm. we we're gonna invert our publishing process to publish to the web first. And put more of a news front into the changelaw.com website, oh. you know, and then and distill that from that into a newsletter, still curated by me, Jared, and the rest of the team, and whoever we all, whoever else we add onto the team. But yeah. we're inverting our publishing flow rather than saying, here's a once per week newsletter, ten thousand people, which we love. Thank you for subscribing, but we want to reach more because there's so many great stories out there that are limited to just this email, hmm. and we didn't think that made sense. So when it comes back to you know, ways we innovate is you know I put my design hat on and I say, hey, we're going to make this new front end awesome. We have another person that works with us, also a designer, Cody Peterson, works with us. Humanshapes.co is his website. He's a freelancer, phenomenal. Probably doesn't probably doesn't have time to work with you because he's working so much with us. But you know, we just we just work really hard to to design well and to ship good stuff, and so that's the next thing we're working on. Huh.
0: So it's like. The links that you would be sharing in a newsletter are instead shared on a web platform
1: okay and you know with our newsletter we've always shipped our own commentary pull quotes from it sort of Gruber style takes on you know you asked earlier about ESPN and I think that's an ESPN version of because we're, we're putting our two cents into it not just here's a link go check it out and you know here's a pull quote from it good luck it's more like, well, we've talked on episode 251 about this. Huh. Here it is again. Now it's 1.0, which is I'm just referencing something I just logged earlier, was Netlify 1, 1.0, the CMS Netlify yeah. Jamstack, which is pretty interesting because they're taking Git-based you know workflows to a content management system. They made that promise on episode 251, and today – Netlify 1.0 was released, so they the del- they delivered on it. So you know, a, a portion of our commentary might be like, "Hey, you know, a year ago we talked to the oh, the founders of the project. Yeah. Go listen to this show. Here's what we like about it, and they've delivered on their promise. So we add commentary, not just that, but a little bit more. And so rather than just do that in a newsletter, we're taking it to the web. You know, making it linkable, making it shareable, making it reactable, making it commentable. You know, that kind of stuff. It's pretty interesting because you have people doing that, but you know, we hearkened it back to, you know, the era of Slashdot, the era of dig, you know, when those two sites were more cool. Totally. They're still cool, but they were mo- more
0: cool. <laughs> they right? were more cool. Slashdot yes.
1: was the beginning of essentially link blogs or Hacker you News. Know, you know, that kind of thing. And I think Hacker News has taken it over, but you go on Hacker News, good luck going on the homepage finding technical links. Yeah. Most of them are political. Some of them are just off topic. Not a lot of them are really for software engineers.
0: It varies from day to day. It does, but yeah. it varies too
1: much, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Our newsletter, Change all Weekly, has always been, you know, you can go back to Jason Fried and DHH and their methodology with Basecamp, right? They built Basecamp and Microsoft Office was what they didn't want to be. You know, so they didn't they didn't really have an idea of what they wanted to be, but they knew what they didn't want to be. Ah, uh, yes. Right. And not that Hacker News is bad. Yeah. Not saying that one little bit cuz everybody's effort is should be, you know, should be praised. And I think it has its place, but you know, we think there's a gap there and we're going to fill it. Mm-hmm. And our example of not to what not to be is Hacker News.
0: Interesting. Okay, that makes sense. What advice do you have for people who are looking to start a podcast or start a newsletter or start some sort of personal brand effort? Particularly developers.
1: Mm, personal brand effort. Well, let's, let's start with maybe one of them. Get, get, let's start with pick a medium, and I'll give some advice on that one. Podcasting. Podcast is easy. You just grab a mic and you talk into it. <laughs> okay. And you put it on the web. That's, that's reductive. reductive. Right? And you put an RSS feed or XML feed behind it, and that's a podcast. But I think to really do it right, I think that you asked earlier, how is podcast growing? I think the way podcasts are growing is demanding higher attention to quality. Not just the content, but production value. That doesn't mean go out and become an audio engineer, but that means learn enough to get it right. Or at least try. Because what's gonna happen is if you have not so great audio or you don't pay attention to the mix and levels between your voice and their voice and whoever else's voices on these you know, distributed calls, it's gonna be harder for somebody to actually pay attention and listen, and they'll just fall off. And podcasting, I believe, is in a higher demand now where you're essentially fighting for attention, right? I fight for attention, you fight for attention. We fight for the same hour yeah. or 45 minutes of somebody's time. Yeah. You know? And in lots of cases, they probably listen to both of our stuff. Yeah. But in some cases you win, some cases we win. It's not like we're actually in a fight, yeah. but by the content creation process, we're, de- we're, we're competing for the same hour, 45 minutes or 15 minutes of somebody's time. You yeah. know? And you only get there and win if you have the kind of content, both in content and actual quality, That people want to listen
0: to. Mm. What do you think about a niche? Like developers who wanna start something, maybe you know, figure out some super nichey niche and just capture all hundred and fifty developers who are in that niche. You
1: may in that case you may wanna realize that you have some constraints and you have some limitations. So you can't go in and thinking I want a fifty thousand person per show podcast when you've only got a thousand people to actually listen and you may only get 10 percent of that so that's you know 100 people so you got to be okay with just 100 people listening to your show true right and you got to then determine what is success for you because your success version and my definition of success might be completely different right yeah and that's what that's where you kind of derive your own inherited happiness is like what do you think success is what are you driving towards what's your mission and how are you getting there you know one day at a time
0: hmm. i see yeah for people who are looking to, like, get sponsored or get sponsorships, do you have any tips for... Just ask. Just ask people. Just ask. Who do you email?
1: I don't know. You find... You do the research. You gotta, you know, Google who the contacts are, you mm-hmm. know. Let's... You reach out to a company, you don't know who to contact, go to their Twitter, go to their app mentions, do do some legwork. Mm. You only get sponsors and get those relationships by putting in the work. Mm. You know, it's put in the work to find who to contact, Showing up at conferences, shaking hands, meeting people. Yeah, you know, you got to put in the work. You can't just email one person, get one no, and walk away. Yeah. You give me six nos, and then I'll walk away. It doesn't mean I'm the. De- doesn't mean I'm pushy. It just means that it takes work to find and create lasting, long relationships, which totally. is really what the sponsorships are, in my opinion. Yeah. For us, our relationships. It's not sponsorship. I mean, it is in the general term you say sponsorships, but for us, they're partners we make them feel like partners
0: and do you this is getting into some inside baseball but do you have any frustrating conversations where they are expecting some highly measurable form of lead gen and as podcasters we can't really give them that
1: yeah and i let them down you let them down and if they're not okay with it i say we can't work together it's not because we're arrogant it's just because i'm Pragmatic. Yeah. I'm, re- I'm a realist.
0: There's not really anything we could do.
1: <laughs> we ship an MP3 across the internet and yeah. people listen to it. That's what podcasting is. That's right. You know, well, potentially an MP3. It could be Og Vorbis or something else. But, you know, likely it's MP3 because that's the winner in the yeah. format, right? So you tend to ship an MP3 and maybe some other formats too. You host it on some sort of CDN or some sort of web server and people download it and they listen to it.
0: And and, and and maybe they go to hired.com slash changelog. Maybe. Maybe. What would they go there for? Well, if Hired is a sponsor. Yeah. But I'm just saying, this is the conversation. Oh, you,
1: like, so they listen to the show and maybe go to a sponsor's I'm just page. saying
0: that is the. That is- how these sponsors choose to renew. In my experience, so the, the difficulty of managing a full-time podcast is like you have to have these conversations with the, with the, with the sponsors oftentimes. If they have a right. highly data-driven approach, they're going to measure, okay, hey, we ran this custom URL, changelog.com slash hired. Right. And uh, sorry, we only got like, we didn't get enough people that went to it. So we're going to have to lower what we pay you. And you're like, okay, well, how many people went there? And they're like, oh, we can't tell you that. And you have this, Adversarial relationship with sponsors sometimes. Well, that
1: almost never happens with us. Yeah. Because I don't think that we step into an adversarial role with the people we work with. And I'd say if they're not willing to share information with us, I don't want to know people's names. Yeah. But what I want to know is what are your goals? What can we expect from it? I like to set
0: expectations. You set them up front. Right.
1: So if you can't set expectations for me, then you're just setting me up for failure. Ah. Right. If I don't, if you,
0: so you say up front, like, what are the KPIs here? And To, if you- to some degree, yeah.
1: And I, I don't make any promises, but I want to know what their desires are. And I help them understand, well, well, you may be able to track 60% of that, and you have to be okay with it. Yeah. Do you want to work with us? They say yes, cool. If they say no, then I'll say, well, we've got other people we can work with too. Yeah. But you got to be okay with these parameters. And if you're not, then you don't understand the medium. Because it's not just about KPIs. It's not, not about just conversion. It's brand awareness. Yeah. You know, they've got to know, So we're, since we're using Hired... Maybe hired should sponsor this particular episode if it actually goes out. But <laughs> you know, if if we're using hired as an example, and they go to hired.com/change, which you should do, and maybe there's some KPIs around that. And I'm just kidding around. But you know, if they if they go there, they now know that hired is somebody that is potentially trustworthy to be a place when they're in the job market right. to look for new roles for yeah. great companies like. Google, like Facebook, and Mixpanel, which is what you and I both say, because they've sponsored your show too. And that's just pulling the ad read back into, is is a funny, it's just a funny listeners. (laughs) You know, it's awareness that they exist, that they're trustworthy or potentially.
0: The difficulty is, the person who you're dealing with, who who is purchasing podcast ads for whatever company, they've got a manager, and they need to show the manager data, especially at... A tech company, they're, the campaigns are typically data-driven, especially because they're used to these sure. display campaigns where they can get really good analytics around who's clicking on the ads. Even though plenty of those clicks are probably coming from bots, but it's at least measurable cl- under, yeah. clicks coming from bots. And yeah, I, I would just know. say
1: if they're if they're in it for only the conversions, yeah. then that's that's wrong. Yeah, you know, you got to understand. We're in the radio business, for lack of better terms. Yeah, like, the radio business wasn't only about conversions; it was about brand awareness. It was about sharing a story. You know, you know some insider baseball stuff. I tend to ask people like, "What is the message you're trying to deliver to the developer community that you're having a hard time doing, and how can I help you deliver that message?" Right. Right. So you got to figure out how you can give them value, which is what I always try to do, and not just do an ad read, not just say, "Hey, you know, go to hire. dot com slash changelog, and hopefully you subscribe." Like you tell their story, right? That's so what we do for everybody. We help tell people's story. We help deliver stories to, to the, the community of developers that need to hear it. And we try to do that for sponsors. And hopefully our motives and values and ways of doing that align. And if they don't, that's cool. And if they don't get value from working with us, then I don't expect them to keep renewing. It's not charity. Yeah. We want to give value. So totally. my goal is always to figure out what's your expectation, what are your goals, how can I, how can I give you value.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great advice. So we're at KubeCon have you heard any interesting stories here
1: Mm, interesting stories here none come to mind great keynotes i think it's really interesting that kubernetes has made exciting what is typically boring yeah devops right i mean operations in general is fairly boring and now everybody's excited about it we went from 1000 people to 4200 people at this conference yeah we got 103 people here on scholarships alone that's phenomenal $250,000 Two hundred fifty thousand dollars was donated to bring one hundred three people here that are from my, you know, minorities or underserved communities, people who don't typically have the ability or means to come here. That's phenomenal. Hmm. I've never seen that. There's a huge check somewhere over there. Yeah, that says two hundred fifty thousand dollars on it, and that's a gigantic donation. So that's a big story. This community has grown significantly. I you think see, it's not just it's, because of Kubernetes. It's also because of a thriving community. Huh. CNCF collecting these these disparate projects together and saying this is cloud-native has been huge. That's the story that I think is, is generally
0: told here. I think it's interesting that all of the cloud providers, this is like the first technology, other than maybe Linux, this is the first technology that all of the cloud providers are gathering around and saying, okay, we're supporting this. We're providing a, a large, we're putting a large bet in, in our, our cloud, cloud services, services business around Kubernetes, Kubernetes. And that's, and that's like, like rocket, rocket fuel to the to a te- to a technology. Yeah. Like it's. The, I don't think there's a, there's any precedent for that. Maybe the Hadoop it's space. So I guess the Hadoop space would be something like that.
1: Yeah. It's been said that Kubernetes is Linux for the cloud. Yeah. So it would make sense that you would use Linux as an example of emulation or similarness. And I think that yeah, it's like every cloud is here. Google, Microsoft. What well, the clouds are out there. Alibaba Cloud, Weave Cloud. All the clouds are, not only are they, I would you, you say betting. I, I think Kubernetes has proven itself as the orchestration technology of the cloud. Yeah. They, it, you know, the community needed a unified API. And eventually, one of them, you know, one of the many out there would have won. You got Kubernetes, you've got Swarm from Docker. And Mesos. Mesos. And very, you know, all the different players in this orchestration space and many of the vendors here that build their businesses on top of open source and have to support many orchestrators, that's where the bet, I think, is really being placed because they're smaller. These clouds, I think they, you know, they were all trying to do what Kubernetes has done, but it won. And so they're not going to keep doing their own thing, right? <laughs> right. But what would you do that for? You don't have this community behind it. You yeah. Know, you want to You want to accept what's been accepted. Yeah. Right? And so I think for those reasons, you got all these clouds on this on this thing and then now they're all members of CNCF, which is great because that means now they have financial backing to support a community, to support a foundation and then obviously to bring in and vet what the TOC does to vet new projects coming into or leaving if they you know flatter out and they're not actually good projects for the, the foundation or they just you know eventually die off, uh, they call them retired. But yeah, I think all the clouds being involved, all that money being involved is great because that's what it's all about. It's sustaining open source. Yeah, you know, and you, and you have to have, you have to have an economy to sustain. Whether it's Woofy economy, which is a, you know, a term for, another term for like social currency oh. or true money. Oh, you know, yeah, some sort of currency, some sort of value has to be, yep, present and exchange for something to sustain themselves.
0: Yeah, actually, okay, random question. You're all about open source. Have you, are you covering Bitcoin stuff? Absolutely. How are, how are you? wrapping your mind around that space are you do you like do intense preparation and research and stuff for those kinds of shows because they they can get pretty technical in my experience
1: we do research yeah okay of course we don't show up five minutes ahead of time with with barely knowing their name sometimes we're we're out of time or whatever yeah it's busy but we do prepare we you know we'll do our show notes we'll do some you know rough outlining we don't have a script you know, but we we'll kind of understand general topics we want to cover, some sort of general flow, some sort of general story. Yeah. But part of the magic, I think, of podcasting in general is kind of coming to a conversation a little,
0: a little unsure.
1: Yeah, a little unsure. You know,
0: you don't want to you don't want to hear the two experts talking to each other about a super niche topic. No,
1: I think it, what's, what I think I like most about our show is that is that we're not thought leaders in most of the spaces we yeah. talk about. In, in a lot of cases, we're imposters. Right. And so, we have this phrase we use that uh, we do the show is 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 this. We faced our imposter syndrome, so we don't have to. Uh-huh. You know. So we end up being the imposters in front of thousands. You know, yeah. in front of these people. You know, just face to face temporarily. You know, in that in that hour or so of the conversation, but to the listeners, we're the imposters. We tend not to be the thought leaders. Bitcoin specifically, preparation around that. I think you know you got to understand blockchain. You know, you got to understand. I think some constraints around the blockchain, you got to understand some constraints around cryptocurrencies, some constraints around fiat currencies, understanding the landscape to some degree. But I think just knowing the the general touch points is great because you can ask some pointed questions and from those questions, get more information on where to take the conversation to. Yep. Being a conversationalist is, is, uh, in a podcast, in my opinion, for the shows we do, tends to be, you know, part of our secret sauce or DNA is that we... We tell people up front, like, this is not an interview. This is just a conversation between three people who mm-hmm. tend to care about technology. And you tend to be the expert, we tend to be the imposters, but we're gonna come at you with some knowns and some unknowns, and our, our audience is developers. So go as deep as you want. Sometimes we'll follow you, sometimes you won't. And uh, we, we'll, we'll, we'll see will is. We'll see it <laughs> is <design>. there. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we're like, sometimes people are talking about, like, Creating an OS and my eyes glaze over and I'm like, yeah. I have no idea Your what it's saying. Yeah, microkernels, this and that. I'm like, what? I don't know. But I get the general idea of what they're trying to do, because they're trying to serve people. Yeah. And if you understand people
0: And somebody out there listening is like, Yes, I follow exactly what he's saying. Or she.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we and hopefully we're taking that conversation in a good direction. I'm sure a lot of times somebody out there is thinking, you should have asked this, you should have right. asked that, right? Yeah. But we can only take it so far. Yeah. We got 45 minutes to an hour to talk to somebody. Totally. We can't... I don't know if people would listen to three-hour shows. We've never tried a three-hour show. I don't think I would ever even... I'd probably have to, like, take a bathroom break and a, and a snack break for a three-hour show. You listen I'm, to Joe I, Rogan? I listen to Joe Rogan on YouTube. Okay. In probably five to 15-minute increments.
0: Okay. Not the third full so three hours. I listen hours. to clips.
1: Yeah, okay. I listen to clips. Well-titled clips. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of that. Yeah. And... I couldn't listen to three hours of Joe Rogan. Yeah. Not that he's not, but it's just like, it's long form content. It's very t- it I don't have three or four hours. It is, yeah. yeah. I might have three or four hours of media in a week. Yeah. So I got to slice that up. Yeah. You know, I got different interests.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um. What's in 2018 for Changelog? Well, news...
1: I think that's probably going to be big for us. Hmm.
0: Curated. It's, so it's curated news. Yeah, it's
1: curated news. It's you know If you if you subscribe to Change Law Weekly right now, or you go back through the archive, which is listed at changelog.com slash weekly, if you go back through the archive and you see what we've covered, expect more of that. thesis thing. I think our focus is on that. Our focus is on keeping the main thing the main thing. Slow and steady wins the race. Slow yeah. down and check yourself. Hack it to the heart. Open source, move fast, keep up. That's our focus.
0: Adam Stachowiak, thanks for coming on Software Engineering Daily. Thank you, Jeff.
1: Wow.